Hello and welcome to Bedlam Social Hour, a D&D podcast. I recently had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Robert Walker, the host of the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology podcast. He can be found on any major podcast platform. The topic we chose was safely running darker topics at your table. I sure appreciated the time and conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. There are a lot of opinions out there about what sort of topics and themes should be off-limits in a TRPG story. And I will admit there are themes that I have strayed away from, but normally that's because I've been asked to avoid those themes during Session Zero of a campaign. But what if your players have all given their expressed consent to engage in darker themes and stories? I'm Robert Walker, author of Session Zero, the DMG to writing great campaigns in any system. And this is my show where I teach collaborative storytellers how to have more immersive campaigns using psychology. And today we're going to be discussing safely running darker stories at your table. And we will be speaking with a guest who has had quite a bit of experience doing just that. So let's get to the interview. Hi, I'm Dan Clegg, uh, and in this context, I am the creative director and technical director of Peace in the Chaos Productions, as well as DM of Bedlam Social Hour, a D&D podcast, a story-driven, semi-edited, real-play Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm not sure if it was coincidence or by subconscious design, but in terms of your standard TTRPG player archetypes, our group ended up being all role players, which has made for some really great collaborative storytelling. That is awesome. So before we jump into the main topic, Dan, thanks for being here today. And I do want to talk a little bit about your show, uh, Bedlam Social Hour. So can you tell the Cyclothids a little bit about the show, kind of what the story is and what makes it unique? I initially offered the group an option of where to start, and they opted for an urban environment. So that's initially where we started, but we have since then branched out. And the adventures that they find themselves on, uh, well, they range. It's it's a broad spectrum of topics, but um, I think what makes us unique is that our story incorporates and addresses and not afraid to address darker plot points that uh, unfortunately horrifically exist in the real mm-hmm. world. And normally many people would be content to turn a blind eye to that sort of thing. But uh, we foster the opportunity to, to safely explore those things and the emotional fallout that tends to go with those things. Yeah, I think that is a very interesting thing. And it's something that our games, the group that I play with, tends to do as well. And it's perfect for today because we are talking about how to run safe darker stories at your table. So you're a great person to talk about this because your show does feature those darker storylines. And sometimes, like you said, it can be considered controversial. But I always make the argument that if everyone at your table is comfortable with darker themes and you've discussed them before during your session zero, you have tools in place, you know, mitigating uh, hard scenarios if they come up or difficult feelings, then there's nothing wrong with telling that kind of a story. So Could you maybe share a little bit with the listeners about how you've gone about making sure that your players are in a comfortable space and that while you're incorporating uh, darker themes, the story is still something that they feel good about being part of? 
Sure. First of all, if you're going to imp implement darker darker story elements and whatnot, you don't necessarily want your players to feel comfortable while that's happening, but you definitely do want them to feel uh, safe. Right. You know, there's so many studies out there that people, uh, the people who consume those type of stories, whether it be horror or you know, horror movies and horror stories or whatnot, uh, they mostly enjoy them in the when they're when they're safe, you know, mm -hmm. if you're home alone in a dark house, uh, it's it's no good. There's there's a lot of uh, <laughs> yep. there's a lot of no thank you there. But as far as getting my players to that point, I really ended up being blessed uh, with a group that blessed or cursed, however you look at it. But uh, there's a fair amount of of, of uh, uh, gallows sense of humor kind of across the board there. Um, so there's there wasn't a lot of pushback. Uh, but when I first started introducing those elements, I really did open up with, okay, here's, here's what I want to do. I need to know how you feel about that. And it really just boils down to open communication mm -hmm. and trust between your party and the DM. And periodically, I check in with them. You know, we'll, we'll go a few months and whatever. And then I just remind them, you know, here's the stuff. If anybody ever has any problem with it, if anybody is too much uncomfortable with the subject matter, then say something, whether it's outside of the game, even in the middle of the game, if you want to, you know, raise your hand. So I guess, yeah, we kind of have that, that X card thing in place. Yeah. I think those tools are important. And that initial conversation is super, super important to, to have with your players. Yeah, that's something, those kind of tools are things that I've talked about in my book and I've addressed them on the show, uh, but things like trigger warnings or X cards or game ratings or some sort of a content advisory uh, so that your players have an idea of what's coming up in the story and sort of have the the ability to do sort of a self-check and make sure that they're on board with what they're going to be talking about. I think you said it really well uh, early on when you said there's a difference between you know, feeling comfortable and feeling safe. And really what you want is you want your players to feel safe. And I think that's the most important thing here. But you're right. Being uncomfortable is sometimes an important emotion and, and experience to have. It's where we have mental growth is through discomfort. So I think that's a very important thing that you hit on there. Well, and I think to speak to that for a moment, if I may, I think that kind of to leads to how I, I truly believe that these darker elements are very important mm -hmm. to storytelling. It really amplifies the experience and um, just what people are seeking out of storytelling. You know, don't get me wrong. There are people that want to just kind of sit by and say, yep, the good guy is always going to win and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to work out for the best. If I look at the emotional aspect of, of what engages us emotionally, the best stories, the best movies out there are those of sacrifice, hope, and redemption. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that do well in the box office. Those are, you know, get the best reviews, it, it, it seems. And I think that these darker elements kind of lend the story to having those, those concepts, but um, amplifying them to make them... That broadens the range of the emotion, I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely you know, right. I, I, I'm not quite sure. I'm, there's probably a, a psychological term that I've either forgotten or never knew, but <laughs> imagine that, that sine curve on, on that, that horizontal axis. You know, mm -hmm. if, if somebody can be this high, then they can be this low. And if they can be way, way high, then they can be way, way low. You know, and, you know, the even kill people or, super emotional people, you know, there's, there's an equal up versus down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of stories too. If you only go so far down, you're only going to go so far up. Right. One I've, I've mentioned many times on the show that I think 
dungeon master should embrace elements like emotional character death, uh, emotional moments in the campaign, things that aren't always easy. I like I like a story where even a really bad villain is somebody that the players can still understand because I think there's just so much more depth to experience when you understand that not everything's always, you know, happy go lucky and 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 really if every story was just the the heroes always win and there's no challenges along their way and they don't have to overcome anything that we know is difficult to overcome in our life, it's really not a story about character growth, I don't feel as much. I, I agree. And one one of the aspects I, I like of introducing those darker things is that is that you can introduce a clear-cut evil. You can present your players with something like, this is obviously bad, right. and now you're in a position to do something about it. And uh, sometimes I think that goes back to that dichotomy, that difference is that much more poignant. Mm-hmm. And I really like some of the things that you've said in the past and, and talked about in the past of make your big beds relatable. It, it gives them so much more depth. It makes them so much more you know, three-dimensional and relatable. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I've said it many times, so obviously I do. <laughs> uh, so if you were to give advice to a dungeon master that is getting ready to start a game and they want that game to have a little bit darker of a storytelling aspect to it. How would you suggest that they go about talking to their players about that and getting them interested in that story, knowing that it might be a little bit more emotionally charged than something they're used to doing? Um, I think the very first notion for advising somebody that wants to kind of delve into some of those things is number one, I believe don't do it for shock value. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stories out there that just want to, to do it for the reaction. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a healthy way to put these things in your stories. And that's not why we play this game. And that's not why we come looking for these stories. Have you ever read any, have you read anything by Chuck Palahniuk? He wrote Fight Club. Oh no. I mean, I've watched the film, Uh, but I don't think I've read any of of his works. Well, his his biggest his his famous work obviously is Fight Club, but some of the other things that he's written is really at face value it is super super messed mm-hmm. up. Um, and for the longest time, you know, I, I kind of went through a time where I'm just like, well, you know, is there intrinsic value in storytelling? You know, why do we do this? What should it be? Does it need to be an allegory? Does it need to teach a lesson? You know, what is shock value for shock value's sake? What is that? And so. Chuck Palahniuk was always like, he's a shock jock. Mm-hmm. You know, this is some really, really screwed up stuff. And then I watched an interview that he did several years ago. And when you hear him explain kind of why he goes down the paths he does, uh, it really, really changed my opinion of that. And one of the more uh, poignant anecdotes that he has is, you know, he was reading the story at a, a bookstore or whatever, where he's presenting a story. And after the fact, somebody came up and said, you know, if you can talk about these horrific things, then I can start to think about talking about these horrific things that happened to me sure. and then self in a position to work through them. It seems that a lot of writers have no capacity to be with the tension or the suspense. They start, but they resolve it way too fast mm-hmm. due to past dramas be whatever. I think, you know, if we can be coached back to a greater tolerance of discomfort with things, it kind of gives us an opportunity to deal with the associated emotions and not just stick our head in the sand when things like that come up. I think there's a lot of uh, psychological um, basis in that in research. I mean, I think it's why exposure therapy for people who have Mm -hmm. certain disorders is so valuable uh, when there is, especially with phobias, things that you're afraid of 
being gradually mm. exposed to pieces of that and and building up that tolerance like you're talking about is such an important part of psychology. There is some definite research behind that concept and I've always said that for me, you know, role-playing games are like practicing life and life can be very uncomfortable and it can throw things at you, blindside you on a day when you're completely not expecting it and you have to deal with something horrific and uncomfortable. And I really think there is value in having had some, you know, fictional practice with that, some role-play in that in your life so that you have a little bit of cognitive understanding of, of how to handle a situation like that. Well, not only do you get to be in the situations and have that, that uh, thought experiment of what would I do in that situation, but sometimes you actually get to do something about that situation. Whereas, you know, in not a lot of times you wouldn't never normally have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of digressing from the advice uh, <laughs> aspect of things, but we had, and I'm, you may or may not have, have uh, caught, caught the episode that this happened in, um, but there was a scenario where the group was, the party was separated and I had one player that just her role in that episode was to just get back to the group. And so she traveled and I put kind of a hurdle or an encounter for her in that episode, just so she wasn't just sitting at their table, twiddling, twiddling her thumbs, looking at her phone, waiting for every, waiting for the group to get back together. Mm-hmm. And it was that her character came up upon some road agents that, uh, made some lewd comments and inferred that they wanted to do some not nice things to her. And I totally anticipated her being a fighter class, uh, just cutting them down, moving on and, you know, dealing with the problem. And here we mm-hmm. go. But she opted to go the intimidation route. And yeah, that was reliant on a few dice rolls, but she ended up sending them off with their tail between their yeah. legs. And initially I thought, well, that was kind of anticlimactic. And, you know, after the session, I was, I went to the player and I said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you didn't have much this session. She, and she was just like, what are you talking about? That was amazing. And I realized that that encounter for her had this semblance of empowerment yeah. to her. She didn't have to put down the bad guy like we think, you know, oh, just hit him with the sword and, you know, and, and threat ended, you know, just the way she was able to role play through that. And I just thought I, that struck me as really valuable. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm glad that we had that opportunity. Yeah, so. I could see a, a situation like that for anybody who needed to feel empowered, having a, a bit of a cathartic mm-hmm. release um, sort of like I said, practicing life. Like, what is it that you would really yeah. want to say in a situation where you feel uncomfortable or somebody is making comments about you? And I think uh, that's a very good experience to share. So, yeah, to to get back to the the advice for for DMs, like I said, don't do it for shock value. You want to use it to enhance your story. Mm-hmm. Inter- introduce these elements to let your players rail against and figure out how they're going to navigate it. Because it also helps to flesh out the world that you're building to because it makes your NPCs and the evil in your world and conversely the good in your world be more full, yeah. more three-dimensional. How often do you um, sort of conceal the darker elements? Do you do any of that like behind a veil type of a thing where you just sort of fade to black and say this is kind of a general idea of what's happening or do you tend to be a little bit more descriptive with the dark elements? The veil that comes into my story tends to happen around the sexual themes. Well, player sexual themes. You know, if they there was an instance where they needed to go to a brothel to get some information and things went like you'd expect, uh, but no, I'm not going to sit there and role play a sex scene with my right. players just because that's not going to edify any of us at right. the table. But it does serve to enhance the story and kind of the plot points. Mm-hmm. 
So that's really where I shy away from. And I say with the PCs, when it comes to imagery and writing descriptions and whatnot, uh, there, not to give any spoilers away, but there, there was a scene in our story where they went to rescue an NPC from, well, a human trafficking situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the imagery I painted, I painted in such a way that I wanted the players to recognize this as horrifically evil and they need to do something about it. They weren't just going to go in, get this girl and leave. And, you know, they didn't disappoint, you know, not to give anything away, but spurred uh, them into uh, greater action, so to speak. It did. And, you know, and I was chatting with um, a local listener that I, that I work with and he, he pointed out things like that. They enable, you know, he's, he said, your, your players, your, your characters, they're not these heroic do-gooders. They're just people that happen to have a moral compass. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, I really like that and how he kind of recognized that as a listener because, yeah, it's things like that actually help you do define that moral compass if it needs defining in certain situations. You know, because there's a lot of situations where if we saw on the street or whatever, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to I'm gonna go over here now. I don't want anything to do right. with that. But, you know, practice life. You know, if there's a moment where, no, I need to do something about this, then... I think you should. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to tricks of the trade. So in today's tricks of the trade, I've asked Dan to share a few di- few ideas of dark themes to explore if your players feel comfortable with it. I also had an idea of my own. I'm going to go ahead and go first. Uh, so Dan, you have a moment to gather your thoughts. Uh, my idea would be playing a civil- civilization where those who have magic are uh, first-class citizens and those who do not are considered to be members of a lower class or a serving class. So try and imagine the world of Harry Potter if Voldemort, rather than Harry, had triumphed at the end. What would that world look like and what would it be like for your players if they were in one or these other classes? Like maybe you have an entire party who doesn't have magic and they have to rally against a society that's completely against them. I think that would be really interesting and and put them in a pretty cool scenario. Or if you have some who are magic users, but are compassionate to the plight of those who do not have magic. Very nice. The ideas that I came up with are threefold, but just because the first two were a little bit kind of a cop out because they're more kind of esoteric <laughs> themes than a than a concrete thing you can grasp onto. So, but the the first one is uh, just introduce a sanity mechanic into mm. your game. You know, there's, you know, the Call of Cthulhu games have a huge following and again, defining what you're looking for in a game. If you want to go play Call of Cthulhu where you just try to survive until you devolve into sanity, <laughs> then fine. But, you know, as far as the D&D goes, you know, we run 5e and there's a lot of mechanics out there, whether it's Sandy Peterson, whether it's just straight out of the DM's guide or whatever, to implement that. And it doesn't have to be debilitating because there's a path back from mm-hmm. that. Secondly, anything that amplifies your player's paranoia is just golden. Yeah. Uh, it could be a, an assassin that behaves unpredictably with above average invisibility capabilities. It could be a baddie that's after a magical item that is not constrained by the material plane. Uh, but really just kind of take that concept of that, that uh, film concept of negative space and apply it to your player's perception. And, you know, if they're constantly looking around, you know, what's around the corner, what's in the dark, you know, what's going to come out at me that, uh, 
we we had a, a little bit of that in our story with an assassin uh, chasing them. It's every time they stepped out, it was paranoia. I did a I did um, a scene recently in one of my stories that was very similar to that, where there was uh, basically a horde of undead approaching the party and setting the scene. Like obviously, that's not necessarily a darker theme, although necromancy kind of is. I mean, in the fictional world, but. The, the whole scene that I set was with music and with darkness in the room, and it created a great sense of discomfort on the players, especially as I was ramping up the volume of the music as the mm-hmm. horde kept getting closer and closer to them as they're trying to escape. So that that's another interesting way to sort of make that discomfort, but it's still very safe for the players. Mm-hmm. Well, and I I can attest to the music aspect, too, because, you know, when we play, the finished product is... is edited with background music and sound effects and whatnot. But in the moment, uh, that music brings so much. There was a moment where they came across uh, this mysterious road merchant, Elia Nevercross, and I gave them the description. And I went to put kind of just some benign music on, and I accidentally, you know, and at first they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go talk to her. She's going to have magical items. Let's go. Let's go talk to this merchant. And then I accidentally hit the wrong button on my soundboard, and this anxious, suspenseful music came on and all of the group are just like i don't want to talk to her anymore i had to be like no 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 that's not what i meant that's not what i meant so it just that adds so much but um to hit that that last uh concrete example for dark themes to explore start your party on the oppressed side of a slavery situation Mm -hmm. where they either have to escape or organize an uprising or something Mm -hmm. you know figure out that solution because that offers a clearly defined antagonist and objectives that everybody can agree on right out the gate. You know, if you want a unified party, you know, here we go, put them in the same boat. And then you can take that as dark and as deep as you want with uh, how awful the slavers are behaving. Yeah, no, I I think that is a a very valuable story to play through. And I think one of the important parts of, of themes like that, even though they can be considered controversial is even though it will never compare to a real life experience, it does at least give you some frame of reference for understanding how wrong a thing like that mm-hmm. actually is. And I think that's an important it, thing it, for people. I, and I think, too, I think it's very important that fictionally as well as historically, you know, I, I think it's uh, an injustice to bury these things and not address them. You know, I've always been to the opinion of let's drag this out in the light where we can see it and judge it accordingly. Right. You know, then obviously the opinions are going to be formed, but then there's not any it's it's unequivocally what it is and we can we can vilify it as we need to to speak to how you're characterizing yes you've never been in that situation but it's good to give it that 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 thought time i i think back to when i was very young and i discovered drizzt orden you know salvatore's yeah. work and i remember i i still remember how angry i got reading about how they were treating him because of his skin right. color and, you know, I'm, you know, I guess, thankfully, you know, I'm privileged enough to not have to have ever been in a blatantly, you know, racist situation where that level of discrimination, you know, was exacted against me. But I just that that anger from that fictional experience was it's stuck with me to this. Yeah, day. I think that is really important. I talked about it on on my show on an episode about why you should play characters that don't represent you in real life is because even mm-hmm. though it doesn't give you the sense of what it's actually like to live that. It does at least give you a frame of reference where you can understand 
right and wrong out of the situation. And I think that is a very important tool. You know, it's the idea of walking a mile in someone else's shoes. Well, what better way to walk a mile in someone else's shoes is there than to role play what it's like to live mm-hmm. that life for a short amount of time? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And it, it provides you the opportunity to legitimately think about it and give it the proper analysis yeah. that it deserves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my players, we were chatting about a few things and something that he said that just really I thought was profound. And thank you, Percy, for this. But, uh, he said, storytelling is one of the most effective ways that we learn and share. And that's why storytelling is important. And I would take that a step further that because of that, we shouldn't cut out this whole subset of emotions and thereby a potential support system for those emotions by ignoring darker themes and difficult topics. Even on a lighter note, you know, we're at the table with our friends and everything. And, you know, 20 or 20 years later, we're like, Hey, remember when that happened? Remember when that happened? That was great. And, you know, it's a shared experience, you know, yeah, we're playing pretend, but it's still a shared experience. And if you share some of those darker experiences with people, then, you know, there is that basis for, like I said, that support system for, you know, it's a, how we get through stuff. It's how we get through life. I agree. All right. So before we sign off, I do want to give you, Dan, the opportunity to share with the Cyclothids where they can find you on social media, where they can listen to your show, and give you a chance to talk about any other projects or anything else you want to plug. Yeah. I can be found on any major podcast platform and some minor ones. Uh, the important part is that uh, the word bedlam gets spelled correctly because I may or may not have shot myself in the foot with that one because it's just been kind of an online name persona that I've had for years and years. And so I, I picked it to, to go in the name. So yeah, Bedlam Social Hour, a D&D podcast. Uh, we can also be found at peaceinthechaosproductions.com. Uh, that site will have different links on where we are and different podcast platforms, as well as news updates and whatnot. Uh, there's some other fun things there as well. We have a section there for audio drama pieces that are relevant to campaign and player characters. Uh, they were created before we started publishing podcast episodes, but they are relevant to the story, and they were just kind of fun to make. I'm constantly, as you know through my my questions, I'm constantly muddling my way through a social media quagmire. So I recently started Instagram. That's at bedlams underscore social underscore hour. And we'll be posting more things there as well as we move along. Um, Imagine that my link tree will probably show up in your show notes. And then uh, as far as what we're working on, really our focus is that flagship Bedlam Social Hour D&D podcast. Uh, I do want to eventually branch out and do some conversational episodes that could be Bedlam Social Hour or a D&D conversation. Uh, but that's going to be down the road because you know, there's really only so many hours in the <laughs> that week. That is very true. <laughs> I keep I keep suggesting uh, that I'm going to do an actual play podcast and then realizing I don't have the actual time for an actual play podcast. <laughs> well, Cyclothids, of course, you will be able to find uh, links to all those things that Dan mentioned in the show notes. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate having you on. You had some great insights. Well, I appreciate you having me. This was, this was a lot of fun. All right, let's head over to our knowledge check. For today's knowledge check, we're going to be looking at a study that comes from Caitlin Woolley from Cornell University and Islet Fishback from the University of Chicago that was conducted on over 2,100 people engaging in personal growth activities. And part of what they were doing here was the goal was to make the participants feel uncomfortable, uh, either awkward, nervous, anxious, or even upset. And they were told to push past their discomfort and to know that that feeling is a sign that the activity was working. 
Um, other participants, the control group was not told to embrace discomfort. Instead, they were simply focusing on learning. Uh, so ultimately, what the researchers found is that the people who were aiming at being uncomfortable and were more engaged in their activities, they felt more motivated, they had more uh, ability to keep doing them. And in the end, as the results were, were uncovered, they found that those people, the ones who embraced discomfort, made more progress and more personal growth, growth compared to those who were not allowing themselves to embrace the discomfort and the vulnerability of their situation. So the big finding from this was that embracing your discomfort can turn a negative into a positive experience, and it's a sign that you're on the path of growth, uh, and it does help you sort of understand how to move through difficult situations. So this study aligns with other research that has already been done that suggests we can reframe the way we think about negative experiences, and practicing existing in a place of dis discomfort helps us with our emotional growth. I will go ahead and put a link to this article on the show notes. So if you want to read the entire thing, go ahead and check that out. But I think it's just sort of a, a very important footnote to today's conversation to understand that there is a lot of research behind the idea that existing in those darker spaces and existing in those uncomfortable situations does help us grow personally through life. That's it for today, Cyclists. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks to Dan for uh, joining me on the show. And please check out his show, Bedlam Social Hour, a D&D podcast. You'll find the links in the show notes. As always, we will see you next session. been Dungeons and Dragons and Psychology podcast featured by Bedlam Social Hour, a D&D podcast, a Peace in the Chaos production. Thank you once again for listening, and until next time, work hard and be kind.